million people are now de-churched. The problem is big, but there's hope. Let's talk about it with Jim Davis and Michael Graham on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're so glad you're here, and I say it all the time and mean it all the time. You always have a place at our table. In case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here. Matthew uh, just started a new eating plan. Already he's lost 10% of the joy in his life. (laughs) It happened fast. (laughs) The next part takes longer. Our producer Jeremy's in the little glass booth. Uh, We brought Jeremy in because he's a magnificent magician. And we thought this, do I have to say this? And, and we and we thought this show could do with a little more, a bit more sax and violins. <laughs> oh, I love my oh, man. Violins. Oh, I love it. Our one-man IT department, John Myers, is in his tech, tech bunker. John, when you edit this program, if you could make the last joke funny, I would appreciate it. <laughs> And Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George examines our finances, though he calls it studying the book of numbers. (laughs) That is impressive to our constituency. And Kathy Wyatt is the soft feminine side of the program. Kathy doesn't want anybody to leave the church except those people who are sitting in her spot in the pew. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Matthew. Wow. Listen, this is going to be a great this program. This is fake news already. <laughs> we have uh, two great guests. Jim Davis serves as the teaching pastor of Orlando Grace Church, and he hosts the As in Heaven podcast. Jim received his MDiv degree, poor man, at Reformed <laughs> Theological Seminary. And Michael Graham is the program director for the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. He is also executive producer for the aforementioned As in Heaven podcast. And Jim and Michael have collaborated to write a new book. It's called The Great De-Churching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? And I hold a copy of that book in my nicotine-stained fingers. I've been spending some time this morning in this book, and uh, I'm not to the hope part yet. I'm (laughs) suicidal, to be honest (laughs) with you. (laughs) We were talking off air, and a number of years ago, William Hendricks wrote a book called Exit Interviews. Up to that point, everybody had gone to the front door of the church and asked people why they were coming. And uh, then they tried to design their church so more of the same kind of people would keep on coming. And William Hendricks got tired of that, and he went to the back door. 
and he interviewed people who were leaving and asked them why. And his conclusions in that book are absolutely amazing. And um, he said that we've been preaching grace, but we don't really believe it. And we're killing the people. And you'll find some of that in this book, too. But this is a lot more detailed and, frankly, a good deal more helpful than the William Hendricks book. I think most people have a general sense that there are fewer and fewer people that attend church. I asked Matthew if his church was growing, and he said, like a weed. I asked George, and he said, I think so. It's bigger every Sunday. And I asked Kathy, and she's a Lutheran now, serving as a Presbyterian missionary to Lutherans, <laughs> and she's a part of a growing church, and I haven't asked anybody else. My church is doing pretty well. So maybe you guys are lying. I mean, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> On that scientific survey. Maybe you're just trying to sell books. And I'm kidding. The trend is kind of scary, isn't it? Um, Jim, why don't you address that? What did you you do? I mean, did you notice? It's certainly not going at the church you guys serve. Well, you know, we're all in Orlando here, and it really started anecdotally. We began to realize that the vast majority of the people who we – who we interacted with who don't go to church used to go to church and even the story of orlando is an interesting one because you were here in the 90s and early 2000s when it felt like it was becoming a sort of christian mecca with reformed theological seminary come down here and campus crusade and you know first pres was the second largest mainline church in the world and the president of southern baptist convention was here and even benny hinn was down here doing his thing (laughs) and you fast forward and According to Barna research in 2017, Orlando has the same percentage of evangelicals as New York City and Seattle. Only Orlando feels culturally very different because a lot of the people who don't go to church here used to and still carry with them uh, those kind of values. So we, we really realized this is the context in which we do ministry, and it set us down this path to learn more, but there really wasn't much to learn. There hadn't been really any great research done So we engaged doctors uh, Ryan Burge and Paul Jupe, sociologists and Christians, uh, to do what became the the most comprehensive nationwide quantitative peer-reviewed academic level uh, study on um, de-churching in America that's ever been done. And so we set out to prove or disprove this thesis. We are currently in the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. Mm. And we proved it. And then we did two more successive phases all three phases involving over 7,000 participants to understand these questions, why they're leaving, where they're going, and what it will take to bring them back. Michael, you, uh, you're you a pastor at a going church here, and uh, are you applying some of the things you learned in this study when you wrote the book? And the question is, is it working? Are thousands being saved and hundreds healed or or what in your church? Yeah, so one of the things we talk about in the book is that the, the people that, that God has put into our lives probably fall in one of three buckets in terms of what they need from us as individuals or as from us as, as, as an institution. And so the people who aren't that distant from church, they need a, a, a nudge from us. So maybe that's a text message, a phone call, 
or you know a personal invitation hey you know would you be willing to you know come to church with me this sunday and let's go eat you know such and such place after the second bucket is folks who need from us they need our dinner table and uh, a level of relational intimacy that's you know that's deeper and more uh, more intimate and more time consuming um and then a and those two buckets, those people will probably actually return to the church. And overall, the you know the bad news of 40 million people, um, 40 million adult Americans leaving the church, over half of them, over 20 million, are willing to return today. Um, the third bucket of people is people who need you know we need to be in their lives for years or decades, and it still might, might it still might not make a difference. So <clears throat> we've been working on teaching the people in our church on, and really it's more coaching and spiritual formation than it is teaching. And it's just talking through what does it look like to do two things well? One is relational wisdom. And that would be things like having awareness of God, awareness of self, awareness of others, awareness of how other people are experiencing you, cultural awareness and emotional awareness. And then having a, a local church that's healthy. And I think a healthy local church um, is able to express three aspects of the gospel well, and that is the, the truth of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, and the beauty of the gospel. And so if you do, you know, if you have a church as an institution that's emphasizing the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel, those three things at the same time, and as people, you know, we're embodying those, those kinds of key awarenesses that together, you know, add up to relational wisdom, you do those two things together, you become persuasive and sticky and something that, you know, you have a Jesus that's comprehensible and clear and tangible. So we haven't been doing this for a very long time. We've been, you know, in research for about three years, but what we have been putting into practice does seem to be landing um, here, both in our church. And we've been working with a couple other churches, you know, throughout the country. Um, one such church um, in, in our heartland um, has seen several hundred people you know, come to their church. And so uh, just putting some of these things into practice anecdotally um, early on does seem to be working. Oh, man, that's good. I'm assuming that both of you guys love the church, even if sometimes you don't know why. <laughs> I do. You know, it was Augustine and who said that she's a whore, but she's my mother. And we've all, if you've been around very long, you know exactly uh, what he was saying and why he was saying it. When we come back, we're going to talk about the PR problem. If you haven't noticed, uh, there have been a lot of very negative books uh, that say we're ugly and our mother dresses us funny in a very clear way they've been saying it. So we've got some repentance and repair work to do, and we'll talk about it on the other side of the break. The book, and you got to get this book. If you care at all about the church, you got to get it. you got to have a small study group in your church. You need to talk about it. It's called The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back?
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. 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 Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. Hi, this is Steve Brown. And in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. Hey, we're so glad you're here that you would give up valuable time to spend it with us means more than you know. And you're not wasting your time today. We're talking to authors Jim Davis and Michael Graham. And the book is called The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Hey, you guys, and either one of you can address this, but I... um. You know, we, the church, I can remember, I'm old as dirt, so I remember when they used to print preacher sermons on the front page of the Monday morning newspaper, and if you were ordained, you were looked up to as a leader in the community. You were given a complimentary uh, membership to the country club. You got clergy discount. I mean, it's nice, but it's changed now. I don't even tell people I'm a preacher anymore, man, because then they get this thing of anger, and all of a sudden, I'm just a little bit b- above lawyers and just a little bit below prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> so things have really changed. There are a number of books that are quite angry that have been written about the church. In general, an evangelical um, heritage in particular. Would you guys address that uh, about the PR problem? Do we do public repentance? What should we do? Well, the PR problem is on a, a number of sides. Certainly, the church has committed sin. I mean, we wouldn't, we would be, we write about this in the book, and you can read about a lot of the abuse the uh, whether it's physical or spiritual, but also I, I think we've committed malpractice in areas of politics. But what really, when we talk about PR, a lot of the places that we read about what the church is doing is kind of siloed off into either these catastrophic moments or uh, what we've called deconstruction, deconstruction stories, although I think that term needs to be defined and nuanced to be more helpful. But what we've realized is of the 40 million people, you said you were in the suicidal mode of the book, and it's sobering, some of this data, but there's a lot of hope. Only about 10 million of the 40 million have de-churched what we, you know, catastrophically, what we call the de-churched casualties. 30 million have the vast majority, you know, their life got busy, their kids got into travel sports, they had a life change, they moved to another another place. The number one reason for de-churching was I moved. 
That was the number one reason. Mm. So we want to, not to minimize the 10 million who have had serious, uh, seriously hard and even catastrophic uh, experiences with the church. We divide those up. We give advice on how to, how to delineate and distinguish who it is that we're talking with and then different paths to walk with them. Michael, I'm assuming you give your assent to what is said by your partner. <laughs> if you disagree at any point when he's talking, and that goes for both of you, feel free <laughs> to interrupt. Uh, kind of keying off what you had just said there, you know, part of the subtitle is who's leaving. In drilling down into these statistics, is there a preponderance of any particular demographic uh, that you see exiting? Is it young families, like you said, who are moving and, and more active and trying to balance activities, or is it kind of across the board? It, the the people who are leaving are across the board. Um, the most people will leave in the age of 13 to 30 in terms of the largest population that's there. Um, some of the profiles might leave a little bit earlier than others, um, particularly the ex-evangelical and the non-white uh, people who are leaving evangelical spaces. Um, however, there is a pretty large population of you know, people who are baby boomers um, generationally and Gen X who are leaving the church as well. So. It isn't just confined to one particular demographic, um, even, you know, things uh, socioeconomic and ethnicity. It's it's across the board. Um, dechurching is in the worst um, among uh, white people, black people and Asians, and it's the least among Hispanics. And then with respect to it's a dechurching is a little bit more female than male, um, just by a few percent percentage points. And then among the socioeconomic spectrum, dechurching is a lot more rapid among the lower class and lower middle class. Mm. Going to church does appear to be more of a middle, upper middle, and upper class phenomenon. Pandemic have a lot to do with it? Well, the pandemic, uh, it, it radically accelerated the casually dechurched as people got out of the habit, depending on what state you were in, you didn't go to church between three and 18 months. And then people, uh, even if, you know, not unlike going to the gym, you've been out of the routine, you think you'll go back, you know it's a good thing, but you're so out of the habit, you've developed new <laughs> routines that you're, you're yeah. not there. So a healthy dose of guilt would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there were, uh, so many uh, interesting things that came up out of out of looking through that. I um, talk about some of the some of the the groups that you sort of identified and used as the study uh, in that, and and especially what were there surprises to you out of that came out of the study. I'll be very quick here. Um, among dechurched evangelicals there were four profiles that we developed. And this came out of uh, basically running a machine learning algorithm to, for people who had very common answer choices about why they left, their willingness to return, these different kinds of things. So the, um, among the 40 million people who left houses of worship, 15 million of those 40, so 15 of the 40, left evangelical contexts. Of those, the first profile, cultural Christians, is about half, and so around 8 million, 
And then the second, third, and fourth profiles are about two and a half million people each. And those profiles are, the second profile are mainstream evangelicals. The third profile is our ex-evangelicals. And the fourth profile are the BIPOC dechurched. BIPOC is a technical term. It stands for Black, Indigenous, and Persons of Color. That group is entirely non-white. And so the, the cultural Christians and the mainstream uh, evangelicals are largely casually dechurched people. And they're around the age of age 40. Um, there's some differences in uh, gender that are there. The people who are cultural Christians, um, they don't appear to, to have uh, very, very intact Christian beliefs. Probably are not Christians from a belief you know, standpoint with respect to the Nicene Creed. However, in contrast, the mainstream evangelicals um, had even better orthodoxy scores than people who still go to church. Hmm. So, for example, the cultural Christians, only 1% of them said that Jesus is the Son of God. 98% of the mainstream evangelicals said Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, man. And so the, um, the cultural Christians, they need, uh, they need to have better uh, spiritual formation and better doctrine in the churches that they're going to. Kind of seemed like they went to church where it was Coldplay and a TED Talk um, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> Um, All right, listen, hold that thought. We, we got to pay for this thing, so we're gonna we're gonna look, uh, back out for a little bit. And besides, this is hard work, and we're gonna have some milk and cookies and rest up so we can finish with the hour, uh, Sterling. Uh, rest of the program. Don't go away, like Jesus. We're coming back. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called <laughs> Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it costs a million bucks. <laughs> but wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org app. We're glad you're here. We're hanging out with authors Jim Davis and Michael Graham. You can follow Jim on Twitter at JimDavis79 and Michael at MSGWrites, just so you know. Uh, Michael, uh, before the break, you were talking about some of the, some of the groups or profiles that were distilled out of your, your data and it was very helpful in terms of kind of talking about those, you know, statistical individuals. Uh, can you uh, 
give us that o- maybe overview, bring us up to date, and so we can kind of picture those. Yeah, absolutely. So, we, you know, before the break, we covered the first and second group, the cultural Christians and mainstream evangelicals. The mainstream evangelicals, uh, 100% of them are willing to return to church today, and a little mm. bit over half of the cultural Christians are willing to return to church today. And both of the reasons why we're largely re- relational. You, we go into a lot more nuance in the book, uh, The Great Dechurching, about each of those profiles. And then the third and fourth profiles, um, which are about two and a half million people each, are the ex-evangelicals and the BIPOC group. And as Jim mentioned before, we kind of delineate that most people, and that's casually dechurched, which is about 75% of the 40 million people who left, and dechurched casualties, which is about 10 million or 25% of the people who have left houses of worship in America. And so the ex-evangelicals, 0% of this group are willing to return to an evangelical church. Now, many are willing to return to a different type of Christian church, a different, you know, mainline or uh, black Protestant or some other form of tradition. Um, But uh, this group was a little bit older in age with an average age of 51. Both of these groups, uh, the ex-evangelicals and BIPOC, left around the new millennium. Um, The ex-evangelical group, America was not working well for them. Um, They're largely female. they uh, American institutions not working well, and the church was just one of those institutions. It's clear that there's significant hurt there. Um, the ex-evangelicals are very allergic to racism, misogyny, and abuse, very sensitive to those things. And they're looking for, but there's a lot of spiritual sensitivity among that group. They're actually remarkably orthodox, uh, all things considered. And there does seem to be a lot of affection mm-hmm. still there for Jesus. And so, you know, even though most of these folks are, you know, none of them said that they're willing to return to an evangelical church. Um, I think there's still actually tremendous hope um, for them. They just need empathetic people in their life. They need empathetic clergy, and they need uh, churches that will care just as much about ethics as they will as doctrine. Um, and the, the BIPOC group was really interesting. Um, they were the most educated and the most affluent of all the groups, and they were mm. overwhelmingly male. In fact, over half of this group um, is, uh, you know, middle-aged, very affluent black men. And so we're talking very significant incomes, um, higher than everybody else that we surveyed, um, you know, upwards of, you know, between the 200 and 300,000 for this group. And they left a little bit before the turn of the millennium. So um, this is a group that's not terribly progressive. Um, However, uh, there was definitely cultural friction that they experienced. Uh, in in evangelical spaces. So very interesting. Um, predominantly African-American men um, who had some very interesting perspectives. Mm-hmm. This is, is just so mind-boggling. Uh, I think one of the things that the and I don't want to make it sound like a like an overwhelmingly glittering generality, but I think one of the things that the church has done historically, when they see however many it is that have left, is they they're looking for, you know, maybe one thing or two things that they that they can do. Where where are we falling short? How how do we how do we go about reaching out in, in very legitimate ways, et cetera? And one of the things that I came away. Uh, after after reading the book was this is a um, 
this is a huge undertaking because there is so much involved here. And, you know, you can't just say, okay, we got hit with COVID-19, people left the church, and now we just have to wait and be patient and try to get them back in. Um, Because that's just not I mean, this was happening. One of the things that I gleaned so quickly from the book was this was going on a long time before COVID. COVID may have accentuated the timing on it a little bit, but it was going on. And 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 so I think the frustrating thing is, number one, for people to not be so discouraged because, like, this is a monumental task. This is this is too big. This this is just ginormous. So how how pra- in a practical manner how do you does one church say okay we're gonna target this particular group obviously not because you want to get i don't know Am, I, you get where yeah, i'm going the, i mean it's there's like, a, it's a great question i mean and that's one of the the questions that we come in with the data the first half of the book is very descriptive the second half is is prescriptive right. and really so there's the how did we get here question which is a really important conversation and then the what do we do as churches that I may not have time to answer both of those before the next commercial great break, but we'll these are back. great questions. <laughs> That's what we're doing. I'm old cynical preacher. I'm glad they're leaving. Maybe we'll get that. Well, since I'm not a pastor, it's not existential horror for me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't affect my salary or anything. But it could be that we're just getting down to the muscle. You know, we've been a majority so long, we thought that was normal, and it's not normal. I mean, who wants to follow Christ? What's all this stuff about a cross and suffering and all that? I'm not into that. In fact, I'm thinking about becoming a Buddhist. Hey, don't go anywhere, we're coming back. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster, just Blaster, Blaster, Blaster. That's how the colons do it. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, have you ever noticed that sometimes you don't see posts from folks you follow on social media? It happens. That's one reason we created Key Life Connection, our weekly email. The best part is that it's free and you can't complain. So give it a try at keylife.org slash surprise. Worth every penny. Would you restate what? No, no, I was just getting ready to say that Jim didn't have hardly any time to deal with. And I was just getting yep. ready to say, restate your question. Yep. Well, he knows exactly where he, where he's going. <laughs> I don't need to restate anything. He's got this. <laughs> well, well, it was it's a good question. A lot of people, as you were saying, Kathy, feel like, well, all this started with COVID. It, it really started in earnest in the 1990s. And there's some things in the 1990s that we have to understand the fall of the Soviet Union was a big deal because before 
the end of the Cold War, to be American was to be Christian. It was this this war between the the Christian Americans and the godless atheists. And Steve, I'm sure you can remember a day when somebody if somebody said, "I'm no longer a Christian." It wouldn't have been uh, weird for the next question to be, "Well, are you?" Or if they said, yeah, "Are you a communist?" I mean, if yeah. you're not a Christian, <laughs> what are you? And so after the fall of the Soviet Union. We, there was a freedom in our culture for those people who probably really weren't Christians to be American and not Christian. Of course, internet cafes began in 1994. People could search other worldviews in a way that they could do it comfortably as opposed to before that. Um, you have some things in politics with the rise of the religious right that did influence it. And by the end of that decade, 2001, our enemies are no longer the godless communists, but the religious Islamic fundamentalists. And so there's a lot of things about that decade that created a resistance. And you saw mo the de-churching began on the secular left, but now the de-churching is almost twice, the, the secular right is de-churching at almost twice the speed as the secular left. Oh, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding about when this started, how it started, and who it involves. Right. Good night. Wow. Jeremy? And so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hi there. Um, I'm loving this conversation um, as uh, our illustrious leader, the, the Reverend Honorable Steve mentioned. I am a musician. I think he called me a magician. I'd like to say I'm some of that too, but uh, I play a lot of music and I'm surrounded by ex-evangelicals and the casualties that you have mentioned in just kind of the everyday work I do. And my story is uh, some of that too, and I don't really want to get into that right now, but I did want to kind of dive into that side. You, you've talked a lot about kind of um, the demographics of the casual folks and kind of how to approach um, responding to them. But what do you do with the folks who've genuinely been abused and have have real problems that, you know, real traumas even, and, and how to address that and be, be Jesus to those folks? It's a really good question. And we, do, we have a, a section and chapter on the book just on this. And, you know, I think the first thing we need to do is say, yes, the church should not have acted like that. And of course, I feel like Orlando is the center of a lot of, I don't know, a city that had as, has had as many pastoral malpractice issues as we have in recent times. But uh, I think the church needs to say that was wrong. I think churches need to be transparent when this stuff happens. Leadership needs to say this is wrong, not try to cover it up. And I think we need to be able to say to those people, maybe you should leave that church. But that doesn't mean you should leave the church. And I, you know, I, I encourage obviously counseling. I encourage friends to come around these people. I've ha have some friends like this in my own life, and we shouldn't just say go back to church. We should begin and walk that journey with them. Maybe they come into a home group first. Maybe it's a Bible study, and then when that if if that person if and when they're ready, maybe we go with them to a church and we help them. Uh, engage the leadership and ask them, what would prevent that from happening here? How would you have handled it if it did? So th there's a lot more to this, but in very broad strokes, I would want to affirm how they feel in that pain, that it shouldn't happen, uh, and but that God could still, the church could still be a part of their healing journey. Mm, good mm -hmm. stuff. Do you, uh, you guys have a lot of hope. And it's really important that uh, we not leave this program without you expressing some of that hope for our sakes. 
So talk about hope, Michael uh, uh, and Jim both. We have absolutely tremendous hope. That's why we did this whole, you know, this whole thing. You know, the most hopeful piece of all the research that we did is that over half the people who have left the church um, are willing to return. Mm. So one in six adult Americans left, but one in 12 are willing to return. And I mean, I just can't even wrap my mind around, you know, 20 million people and what that looks like. Um, so in most of the things that are there of why people left, it's like, well, they're things that are largely within the control of people who are either who still go to church as individuals or the institutions, the church institutions themselves. Most of the, you know, if we're, if we're talking soccer analogies, most of the problems have been own goals, goals we've scored on our own net, as opposed to, you know, things out there that we can't necessarily control. And so if we relate better to other people as individuals, and if we build beautiful communities where we can find the truth, goodness, and beauty of the gospel all in the same place, that's going to be a very compelling proposition for people uh, to, to come back to church. And so I hope that what we can do in the profiles that we've out, we've outlined in the first half of the book is help to demystify who are these different people who have left and what do kind of each of those profiles just kind of need from us. Mm. And so hopefully in making what's complex and, you know, massive sounding, we can break it down into something that's really simple and very actionable and we can inspire people to grow themselves so that we can be we, we can relate to other people better and hopefully we can inspire churches to want to to grow in in their competency as institutions and become a more beautiful bride of christ mm, good stuff jim you agree oh i agree 100 <laughs> percent. i think there's a lot of hope and you know we know how this story ends and and mm -hmm. we know that not only is there hope in those who are willing to return, there's hope that the Holy Spirit can change anybody, can overcome any resistance. And we know God's plan for his church and that it will uh, overcome. It doesn't mean that we as American Christians are going to always be in control of this country, but it means that the faith is going to be fine and our Savior is going to come back with one day and he is going to bring mm. a new kingdom that can never be taken from us. Oh, man, I almost spoke in tongues. That's so cool. <laughs> you guys, you've just got to get this book. Uh, you've got to get it into your church. I have a view that this book is going to make a massive change across America, and you ought to be studying it in your church and talking about it and putting it into practice. And uh, Jim and Michael, or Michael and Jim, you guys done good. Thank you so much for writing this book and for spending this hour with us. We rise up and call you blessed. Thank Guys, you, Steve. thanks for having us. We're gonna we're gonna come back for a little bit. Uh, we have a very short segment to tell you about who we're gonna do it unto next week, and you will be amazed. So. Don't go anywhere yet.
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org store. This is Pete Dowinson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. Available now at keylife.org store. Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org store. Man, what a great and uh, enlightening uh, hour. I've learned so much from these guys, and uh, and it's so important. There is a part of me that says we need to get down to the muscle. I believe that one of the most dangerous places the church can be is when we've got power and money and prestige and leverage because we're sinners, and we'll use those things. And uh, I think what we're experiencing right now is not a negative. I believe it's a positive from a God who loves us. And because he loves us, he wants us to remember them because we're here for them. And when we start getting full of ourselves and our egos are bigger than our churches and we have money and power and we speak and the world listens, when that happens, that's a dangerous thing. My, uh, my late mentor, Fred Smith, said it always bothered him when the path between the church and Washington got too well-worn. And as with much that Fred said, that is a very wise statement. So uh, a way to be helpful, to make a change, but don't forget the dangers. I mean, I want to have an awakening. I pray for that every day. Every day of my life, I pray that we have an, I want to say, God, do it again. I saw it once. You can do it whenever you want to. But then I think, hmm, that has a downside too. So let's be aware. Let's be careful. Let's study this book and do what they say and see what God does. Who's going to be with us next week? Next week, our friend um, Preston Sprinkle is going to be with us. And we've had some of our best and most challenging conversations with Preston in the past. In fact, the only time we ever had a guest on two times in a row about the same book was Preston when we talked about his book that he wrote about the issue of transgenderism. And never let it be said that Preston doesn't go for the tough ones. But anyway, his newest book is called Does the Bible Support Same-Sex Marriage? So we are going to delve into that one next week. Not me. I'm going, to, I'm going on vacation. Or you already you been guys, on vacation. Well, you don't I'm get the another boss. one. I can tell you, I, I, <laughs> no. George will, I know dirt on George. He'll let me go. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. controversial. Yes. Among believers. Well, guys, 
we're finished. Put a fork in us. <laughs> but we're going to come back next week, same time, same place. And that's our hope that you'll join us and that between now and then you wouldn't do anything that we wouldn't do. And that gives you a wide, wide berth. <laughs>